0: the Lord's good. We were studying through the Revelation in the the chapters, of course, of the first three chapters. The books that that taught us about the Lord's great card to the churches at the end of the church age and up to the end of the church age. And uh, we we moved to the fourth chapter of Revelation, but we're not going to go slowly because in the fourth chapter of Revelation, there's a great there's a great number of things happen between chapters 3 and 4 in Revelation according to the church and that is the church will be raptured out and that is that's typified by John hearing a voice that said and I heard a voice that said John come up here and I believe, I believe with everything in the you and I that on our death wherever it is are going to hear our name come up here every Christian is going to hear their name come up here and I, I look forward to that day. Praise God! Yes. I look forward to the day when the Lord comes and says, "That's enough. This world way out. People just uh, not going to do uh, clearly." And uh, I really thought when I was young, I was going to change the world. I was going to preach the gospel and people understand it, and it would change their lives and they'd start doing it. People, when I realized early in my ministry not long into it that people have as much of Jesus as they want they just don't want that much they want enough, they want security they want uh, insurance against hell, Christ has a fire insurance but most people and I'm I'm not talking about this group unless I am talking about this group but I'm particularly not talking about you unless it's true most people most people want to govern their own lives they want the Lord to be there in the back, a uh, quick prayer when trouble comes, to use his name sometimes even in vain when the bills come too big and then we want to see him or uh, we don't want to or maybe can't pay. And they Lord, oh, you know, and start using his name or throwing his name around again. But most people want to want to govern their own lives. And, and that's why I really believe the problem that I face most of my life with, with people now and, and ministry has its interesting stages. And one of them, when you're young, all the older men come and try to bully you and, and, and uh, chest bump you, push you around. They're not worth their salt, and I learned that pretty quick. In the middle years, you're fighting trying to keep the families happy. They're not going to be happy because they're either going to be happy in the Lord or they're not, and you can't make them happy. And then you get older in Christ and you find this to be true. Uh, I'm looking squarely in the face of my peers now who are at retirement age or around that, and it just hasn't quite turned out how the plan was made. Well, folks, there are reasons for everything. And there are deep-seated reasons in the life of a Christian. So in the first hour, we looked at the first uh, Samuel, chapter 15, and it is... The incomplete obedience is what it says of King Saul, but it really means disobedience. When I was young, if I didn't complete the obedience, it was was treated as disobedience, and it still is. Saying no to the Lord has its repercussions. And so, this is Christianity 101 today. Before we go to Revelation 4, and the Bible says, and I beheld a throne set in heaven... John said, I was taken up in the Spirit, and I was, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I beheld a throne set in heaven. You look that up, what does that mean, set in heaven? place for a purpose. There's a purpose now. Do we understand the purpose of the throne in heaven? Do we understand the, the workings of the throne in heaven? Now, again, I want to say to you that I believe very much against some of my peers. In preaching to you the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. We are children of the kingdom. The Lord came to preach the kingdom. He said the kingdom is at hand. He said repent. First thing out of his mouth. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen brother. And then he started teaching the beatitudes. And the first beatitude. Blessed are because the kingdom is theirs. These are the most blessed. are the people whose kingdom is their inheritance. He started to taught them how to pray. And at the end, he said, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He began to teach in his first sermon. And he got to the place we have recorded in Matthew 6 and 33. And he said this. He said this. Don't worry about everything else in the world. Don't worry about every little thing in the world. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of and so, uh, my pastor friends who, who say to me, and they're, hey, everybody has a right to preach what they want. We all stand before Christ. But you go back in the book of Matthew and toward the end, and Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preaching to the whole world and then the end shall come. What is this gospel of the kingdom? This gospel of the kingdom is that you and I are children of the king and we have a brand new life in now. Christ if we believe it, and live it or not. Amen, brother. It is a it, it can be a wasted life. It can be a very powerful and fulfilling life. We have all that we need in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and He said, and the Holy Spirit now comes to live in you. The Holy Spirit living in you and me. So the behavior that we uh, show in this world, the behavior that we show, is what we choose to do with this power that God has given us. It's what we choose to do. It's our choice. And so when I'm talking about this. Jesus came back. Listen, God Himself stepped out of eternity into time for us. Not for Him, for us. He stepped out of eternity where He was absolutely the King of Kings. He stepped out, the Creator God. He's the one who, by God the Father, everything created was of God. Of, uh, by God, through Jesus Christ. Everything. Christ created everything. Now listen, he's the one who created this world and then he came down here to be abused by it. Don't you love him? He did that for me. That's all I know. I know he did it for you, but my heart says he did that for me. How dare me live a life where I ignore him and push him away and say, you have no dominion, no authority in my life. How dare me? He came here and took my hell. Not only the beatings and the scourging and the the treatment on earth, they pulled his beard, they cut his back, they spit in his face. God! He said, i good for you. Now will you come? Now will you come? And he, he, he gave us this opportunity for a great exchange of, of agendas. He came and, and, and I understood as I started studying the Bible after the, the Holy Spirit in me. The Holy Spirit in me began to teach me the Word of God. And he said this, my plans for yours, how about it? How about it? My agenda for yours. My future for your future. How about that? It's already my righteousness for your sin. You, you took that pretty readily. But now, let me have this one. How about my future for yours? My plans for yours. My hopes and my dreams for yours. Will you trade me? And very frankly, I've learned through the years, most people just have to say no. No, Lord, I've got my plans, and I'm, I'm well into them. And, and I'm, I hope I'm not talking about you, but it's just what I've learned over the years. Most people, by a vast majority, are just simply not going to yield that much to Christ and so he came from eternity he offers you and he offers me he came and he offers us these nail pierced hands to come hold my hand take my hand take my hand and walk this life with me and clear into eternity take my hand and walk with me come unto me all you that labor in heaven I'll give you rest why is his burden easy because he's doing the work He told it so clear to those people and very few get a hold of the truth of the matter. And so the Lord, the Bible teaches, the Lord, Christianity 101, the the Bible teaches through its pages this, He came to us. He came to us to be in us and then work through us His will and His purpose. It's a wonderful life and so many people not only won't hear the message, are not going to absolutely make up their mind not to bow to it. I don't understand it. Folks, I, I've walked away from a lot of grave sites now. Way too many. i walked away from a lot of grave sites now. And whatever those people thought was success in their life, I wonder what they think now. Hmm? I wonder looking in the face of Christ as judge or savior what they think now about their success in this life and so we're talking this morning about a set apart life a Christian life it's set apart from everything else Jesus came to do a work in you and me you know what listen you know what Ephesians 1 says about us here's what it says about the church Ephesians chapter 1 says this about the church Jesus Christ came to do a work in you and me that he can show us off to the entire creation. He can show us one day. He can, show, he can point to all of creation. Believers, unbelievers, the stars, the moon, the heavens, the waters, the trees. He's going to point to everything out there to his church and say, look at these. These are mine. You know what he said? We are going to be and already are his glory. You know what glory means? reflected likeness glory means reflected likeness the Lord one day is going to take all of his church and gather them up and say to all the heavens and every being out there created every being angelic, demonic the saved and the lost, every person that's ever been born the Lord going to point to his redeemed children one day and say these are my glory because we are better than all those? no the one thing we have, they don't have, the only thing we can have, they don't have, is that we trust in him and we believe in him. We trusted him. That's all. When I stand before the Lord and I believe I'm going to, I believe I know that one day he's going to call me. And whoever it is, the messenger he sends to get me, whoever that is, I'm going to go home one of these days. Can you imagine getting rid of this? Yes. Yeah. Can you imagine the freedom? New body. No pain, no sorrow, no tears, no crying. And the Lord's gonna say, you know why you're here? I do. Because he said, will you? And I said, yes I will. And when I was ten years old, I said, I will. And I almost couldn't believe he would. Can I tell you something? He did. He did. He took the most ignorant boy I ever knew, and that was me. I was a scared little boy because I didn't want the world to know how ignorant I was. They all had a pretty good idea, but I didn't want the world to know how ignorant I was. Couldn't read, couldn't do a whole bunch of things. uh, Different circumstances made me afraid in this world. And the Lord called me one day very clear. He said, will you come? Couldn't believe it. I said, You have me? You come. The preacher was preaching on John 3.16 in a series, and I got the message hit in my heart and I got saved. And can I tell you this? Everything he said about salvation, my soul knows, is true. you read in the 139th Psalm and you read reading the Bible, and David said, Before I was in my mother's womb. You knew all my parts. And you wrote my book. Before I was conceived in my mother's womb, the book of my life had a period at the end of the last chapter. That's called predestination. And big names out there and scholars are going, and they're fighting every day about what that means. I, I'm not going to fight about it. He said, I finished you before I began you. Now will you come and let me work through you the thing I began you for? That's right. That's Christianity 101. And very few Christians get a hold of this. Well, I had a hard birth. He knew about that. I had a hard childhood. He knows about that. I was hurt by somebody when I was 8 years old. He knows that. There's not a person in this room had not been hurt. If they have any age on them at all. Somebody's hurt you. But I want to tell you the truth about it. You hurt yourself more than anybody else has. Bad choices. Four choices. Knowing to do the right thing and choosing not to. That's how we get hurt. If someone hurts us, we can justify it. If we hurt ourselves, we justify it, but it doesn't work out. Now, folks, this is the most exciting thing that I ever heard in my life, and it made my life what it is. I would live, I believe this, a pretty blissful life if I wasn't a minister. That may sound harsh, but the joy of studying the Word of God every day that fills me up, if I didn't have to go out in the world and worry about people who don't want to know it, that just aches in my soul. Amen, brother. And I say this to you the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24 listen carefully, I have some verses here. I'm not speeding through anything. If you get one of these for what it really means, you're going to have a good day. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24, it says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Isn't that a game changer? He's faithful that calls you to a work. But know this, he's the one who does the work. How good is that? When I was living on the farm, when I was a little boy on the farm, or at least I was younger anyway, but when I was one, I'd be told to go do a job, and I'd piddle at it. And the dad would send somebody else, or he'd come himself and finish the work. I got old enough like, to know that was cheating, so I started straightening up some, but it seemed too big for me when I was little. When I was little, I'd get a job, and it, it seemed too big for me. And then I outgrew that feeling until I got called to the ministry. And I say to you, I confess, I don't care. Every Sunday morning, I'm telling you, this job is too big for me. To stand before you with the Word of God before you and to proclaim the truth of the Word of God is bigger than me. I'll tell you that right now. Anybody. But know this, He called me and He'll do it. What's my part? I just had to be faithful to proclaim the Word of God. And I'm telling you it's true. But we find out this to be one thing true about the Word of God and the truth of God is faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it by your consent and mine. We have to yield to the working of the Holy Spirit. The one who does the calling is the one who does the work. That's that's an amazing thing to learn. Philippians 2 and 13 says this For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. God works in us. The Holy Spirit comes to be the earnest of our inheritance. And first chapter of Ephesians tells us. And then I found this chapter, verse one day. Listen to this. Romans 5 and verse 10. How many people preached to me when I was a boy, you're saved by the death of Jesus Christ. That's not true. Saved by the death of Jesus. If Jesus came and lived in this life being exactly who he was and died and that was it, we would not be saved. That's right. We're not saved by the death of Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 5 and 10 one more time. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. That's right. You understand it? Listen, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled. That's bringing two things together. When you and I were born in this world, we we're born under the endemic nature. And God said this. Now, this is an interesting thing that took me a long time to learn. Now, that reconcile means to be brought into agreement. They're brought into agreement. And he says, much more being reconciled, which means now that's an accomplished fact in Christ. We shall be saved as a, as a continuing process. Our salvation is a process, a life process. I mean, if you get saved and you die, you will go to heaven. But the salvation itself speaks of a three, uh, in in three different areas. We have been saved. If you're saved, you've been saved. If you have been saved, you are now being saved. And when you die, you will be saved. That is, sanctu- that is a justification, sanctification, glorification. You're justified by salvation, justified into the family of God. You live your life after that. Sanctified, set apart. Set apart for a use, for a work, you're now sanctified, a process of being saved, working out your salvation with joy. But if when we were enemies we were reconciled, that's if, if when we were enemies we were reconciled by his death, the death of the son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. How are we saved by His life? This process of salvation, if the Lord comes in to you and me. It's an invasion. It's a spiritual invasion. He comes into our person. And I'm going to tell you this. If, if you find Christianity hard, it was hard work, and you don't find success in the, in the areas that you'd like to, you might go back and see if the invasion took place. You might go back and make sure that you didn't just get a head knowledge, but you had a heart knowledge and you actually received Christ. See, as soon as this reconciliation is being brought into agreement with God is accomplished, then, then God listen to what the Bible says, He reimparts, He reimparts to us the forgiven sinner, the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Reimparts it. He made Adam and Eve away. He made them a certain way and they fell from that way. They went their own way. He put them in His way. He he made them a way. He put them in His way and He said, go this way. But they went the other way. And when they did, they fell and they lost that. And all that was lost in Adam and Eve's sin is regained in salvation through Christ if we will now use it properly. I love it. It says in, in Titus 3 and 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done. You get that? Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy he saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. This, I, I hope that you're getting what I'm trying to give you because this is stuff that took me years to discover. No one told me these things, and no one brought these out that way. But listen, the Bible is self-explanatory. It it, it it teaches itself. It proves itself. What's that? That's the renewing of the Holy Ghost. What's that? I said that's a new concept to me. Some years ago, Psalm nineteen and seven says, "The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul." Well, that's interesting. So I looked up converting, and converting means taking it back to its starting point. What was the starting point of your soul and mine? Psalm twenty-three and three. Everybody knows the twenty-third psalm. He restoreth my soul. That's the same word. He returns it to its starting point. Listen to Colossians one and twenty-seven. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is, this is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you and me. Christ came in, he said, I'm coming down, I'm coming down. I'm going to leave you now, and I'm leaving the Holy Spirit inside of you. For what reason? It's the Holy Spirit. That's the Godhead. That's Christ in you. The hope of reflected likeness. I can leave that in you. He teaches all the way through the word of God. I can leave that in you. And you can be a dullard. You can be a sluggard, a sinful, a reprobate. You can be all kinds of things. And he said, know this, you'll die early. You'll die very early. But he said this, I leave in you, the Holy Spirit is my hope for you of reflected likeness you and I were saved not to have a glorious life here we were not saved to have everything we want or everything we think we need that's not why God saved us matter of fact I'll tell you something the Bible teaches God did not save you to make you happy that's right I don't think he cares about my happiness much at all I don't think he cares about my happiness I don't think he cares about yours because happy, happiness comes from happenings he didn't come he came to give us fulfillment he came to give us a rich life to do, do his will and joy absolute joy, that's right happiness changes with the, with the environment joy comes from inside there's a peace that passes understanding a joy unspeakable and people say, you just had a tragic thing in your family. How can you have joy? Well, I'm not happy about it. And I got that phone call, and I laid in bed and cried for three hours. Matter of fact, every day, I, it passes, and I, I'm doing okay, and then it just comes on me for a while. But this joy from inside of me is because of who I am in Christ, and I know that he's in charge, and it's going to be okay. It's not Circumstance. It's not circumstance. And so we have this. And he said, I didn't save you. I didn't save you so you could go out there and be a bigger, better, faster, shinier, richer you. I didn't, I didn't save you for that. I saved you to go out and show the world how much I love them. Praise God. I didn't, I didn't save you to go out there and take all you can get from this world. I saved you so you can go and give all you have. And Christians, don't buy that. Christians, don't buy that. Don't think I'm telling you you have to leave your home and give up your couch and your chair. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. The thing that God brings to you that is a need and you you provide that need because He's given it to you, He will replenish it. You'll not be out anything. It says in John 17 and 22, it says, The glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. That's to reflect His likeness. Now we yield by consent. That's true. We don't have to. And what we're seeing is a world full of people who claim to be Christians who have not yielded. Do you know I have friends who believe more in the government than they do the Christ? They believe more in what they're hearing on the radio and different things about our government than they do about the sovereignty of God. You know when things are going to happen in this world? God says so. Amen, brother. God says so. When he moves his hand. Amen, brother. When he moves his hand. As we read in the first hour, the Lord said, The Lord said, I remember. The Lord has not forgotten. The Lord has not forgotten. I can lay in my bed and rehearse things that hurt me along the way. And I've learned to be more honest in my old age, and I've learned this that I've hurt myself more than anybody else has ever hurt me. And I rehearse those before the Lord, and that's forgiveness. And can I tell you this? Learning to follow the Christ, learning to do what he made you to do, is one of the greatest joys I've ever known. Listen, God said, God said, God said this. Everyone here, get this today. <clears throat> Everyone. God said, I made you. I made you specifically for purpose in a family, in a place, in a time to do a work. I made you to do that. What I didn't know, even in raising my own children, but I'm screaming at my grandkids. What I didn't know was no one has a right to define me other than Christ. Early success, I say this, early success in life can be terrible. If you're told by someone when you're younger, this is what you want to do because you're really good at this, you might believe that. The problem is it might be so, but not to exclude the thing. Listen, I'm teaching my kids this. I'm teaching myself this. Let me ask the Lord if that's right. Let me talk to the Lord about that and see if that's what He wants from me. The Lord made you. He made you for a purpose, for a work, and no one even told me to look for it. And if you think I'm not telling the truth, look in your Bible and count me wrong. I'd like to hear your answers if you think I'm wrong. The Lord said, and you know how I learned that? I'm reading the last chapter of Mark one day and the Lord's talking to him there and he said, now go your way. I started looking back through there. He told everybody that. And then he said a couple of times, now I have to, I'm going my way. What is that way? Well, I was, a, I was young and everybody was in the family and the parents would say, you, it's Saturday morning, it's whatever, it's work day, you do that, you do this, you go your way, you go your way, you go do your, go do your work. The Lord said, and then the Lord said, I go my way, I go my way, I go my way. And at the end of it, he looks into heaven and says to the Father, I finished the work you gave me. He didn't say my job's complete. He said, I finished the work you gave me to do. Because of that, I have glorified thee on earth. I have reflected your likeness. I have reflected your likeness. I heard this when I was a boy and I relate it for this reason the job's not good enough I said I think it is I said, it looks like it's not done well I said it looks great to me and uh, it was my dad and he goes well my name's on that I said you didn't do it he said clearly do it again and I said looks great he said not to me my name's on that he said did you know your name and mine are the same Do You know, in this world, the Lord's name is on His children's work. Speaking of these loud mouth Christians who boast themselves of being so much, and yet they're complete, utter failures. Why? It's all hidden within that idea of boasting of themselves. It's done through their flesh, through their mind, to better themselves. I've never known a man without trying to outlive his father that got a work done for God. Not really, never. I never met a man who said, I'm going to outlive my dad. I don't live up to my father. I don't live down my father. I live. When I was a young man, I thought, "Now, how do I top that? How do I do better than my dad? Well, first of all, I'm not him. And second, it wasn't going to happen in areas. But I was called to different areas. And I thought, how do I be as good a man even as my dad? That is pretty good, pretty high standard of manhood to me. And so I took that to my Christian life and I said, I have a heavenly father now. How do I honor him? How do I honor my father? How do I honor him? I do what he has asked me to do. And the Bible says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do heartily or mightily as unto the Lord a good job you're a christian your name's on it so if you believe me this morning and and don't hear me wrong i'm not asking you to come here and believe me but if you believe i'm telling the truth about this fact of you were born with a purpose and one of these days you're going to stand before the lord and he's going to say did you do the work i gave you to do how many people are going to say i didn't know what that work was I never knew I had a work to do. I tried to be good. I went to church all the time. I put money in the plate. I was a good neighbor. But there was a work for you in your community. The Lord said, I placed you with some parents. I placed you there. Did you do what I asked you to do? you know the I think just absolute genius of God is that he came down here and to those who would humble themselves, he freed them from self-effort. The tyranny and the prison of self-effort. Why did Elvis die? Now how'd that fit in there? And you're thinking too many peanut butter sandwiches. Why did Elvis die? Well, if he did, over... (laughs) It looks like he died trying to live up to who his, his image became. He overdosed. Maybe. He uh, couldn't keep the pace. Trying to live on medication and different things to keep the pace of who his image was. Do you see the prison and bondage of, of self-effort? When you're told you're the best at something, and not just in your town, in your place of work, in your home, in your family, but you're told you're the best in the world, I've never been asked to sing a second course of anything, ever. No one ever threw handkerchiefs up to me, so I could wipe them and throw them back to them. I've never been down to a crowd and have them trying to pull my ring off or my whatever. Can you imagine what that'd be to live up to? Stupidity. Stupidity. You know how people stupid? They would pass out when Frank Sinatra said, That's stupidity. <laughs> I mean, what, what is that? He swooned. We have a Jesus Christ, a God of the universe who says, I love you. I'm here to make your world and your universe, and your eternity, what it can be. And don't give him much mind. People are not too bright. Jesus said, Verily unto them, Verily I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And he that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. And as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father... So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Eating and drinking in the vernacular of Jesus Christ was to come to me and believe. He that comes to me and believes in me. And he said, I did that with the Father. Listen to what he said. This is an amazing concept that cuts down our ego to where it should be down there when, you know, in reality. In John 8 and 28, he said, Jesus said... When you've lifted up the Son of Man, you shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But my Father hath taught me, as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. In John 5 and 19, uh, it says, Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son of Man can do nothing of Himself. How's your ego? I mean, you're, you're brilliant. I mean, you look in the mirror and you can't believe what the world's going to, get to be with this day. How was your ego this morning? And the Lord said, I'm Christ who created the world and I come down here and I, can't do, I can do nothing except my Father tell me to do it. And so he called us to live his life. He said, when, I'm, when I leave, I want you to live my life. So we have to know what his life was. We close now. Listen, we're closing if we're to live the life that he lived, we need to know how he lived it. He said, The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. He continues his teaching, but abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. I have a nice home. I have vehicles, I have money, I have a ranch, I have this, I built this up. And the Lord says, you can do nothing? What kind of? And you ask the Father, what does that mean? Without you, I can do nothing. Look what I've accomplished in this world. Well, my friends think I'm somebody. The banker knows my name. The banker knows everybody's name. I have all of this. And the Lord says, without me, you can do nothing. And then we're reading along some night with that in our mind, and we hit a page that says this, and then you shall understand durable riches. You can do nothing of any eternal value without Christ. Nothing. You build a a ranch. You build a farm. You build an empire for yourself. You call it what you want, and you're going to do nothing but leave people fighting over it when you die. And I guarantee you that will happen. I guarantee you. If it isn't the kids, it'll be their spouses, it'll be the in-laws. But somebody's going to start an ugly row about $500. It'll happen. And the Lord says this, as I can do nothing except the Father work through me, you can do nothing except you work through me. Without me, you can do nothing of any eternal consequence and value. You can't do it. Now this is the stuff that, along the way when I picked up these ideas, my whole life changed. One by one, I was studying for messages, studying just... Studying the word of God because I love to. And I got these ideas. They came to me. And I started to look them up. And no one ever taught us these things when I was younger. At least if they did, I wasn't smart enough to pick them up. I was not. And so now we know the value. We, we can know the effect. We can know the effect of what Jesus did by re- looking around in the world. But now we know we can affect through his power I'm going to read this to you and I'm done, it's the Apostle Paul you remember Jesus taught a parable and he said he gave talents, he gave five and two and one talents to different men according to their several ability, according to their own God-given ability Do you know your God-given ability? And so he gave him every man according to his several, or his own ability. And, and that calls, of course, for a response. But Paul was out on the road to Damascus in the ninth of Acts, ninth chapter of Acts, and the Lord shone a great light about him and called him. He said, Saul, Saul, why, why persecutest thou me? Why are you persecuting me? <laughs> Isn't that fun to have the Lord say, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He said, you're not big enough. You got a lot of things going. I'll give you that on the world, on the earth, but you're not big enough to kick me down. It's like kicking against sharp sticks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And that's the answer to the entire equation. The two things Paul asked Who are you? And what will you have me to do? Did you see what happened when Paul got that straight? The world that we live in today, the western world is what it is because Paul said what will you have me to do? And he did it. Now that's availability. That's availability. We have an ability. We respond to that by what is our responsibility and we give ourselves an availability. And look at the outcome. Boy. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is allowing God to be in Who he is. I'm done. This is it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is allowing God to be who he is. In who I am. With the absolute right to play that role in my soul that instinct plays in an animal. That's a bunch of words, isn't it? We We are to allow God to be in us. The origin of his own image, the source of his own activity, the dynamic of his own demands, the cause of his own effect. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. The reason I say these things this morning is this. I'm living in a world of Christians who are coming to me saying, I don't feel, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm experiencing that thing that Christ promised. I don't think, I don't feel satisfied. I'm, I'm contending this now. As Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, God fed them manna. And they started crying to God. We don't like manna. We're sick of manna at least when we were back in bondage we had melons and leeks and garlics and quail we had better we had variety you won't tell the Lord he's not a good cook he's a terrible baker these manna cakes honey wafers I might have done it too but they were crying to God and said we're we're so bored with your and the Lord said oh you want those things and he fed them quail until they puke quail. The last thing I want to say. These are the wilderness Christians. There's people in bondage. That's one type of people. There's people who come out of bondage. That's a new baby Christian. And there are those people who live in the promised land. They live in the promises of Christ. Most of the church, as I see it, live in the wilderness they're saved they know the promises before them but they're not willing to go in they're not willing to yield and they're not willing to go in they're not willing to cross the Jordan into the promised land here's what the Lord said you don't like manna every day I told you to go there where the fruits are big enough to carry on a pole Two men have to carry one cluster of grapes. The land flowing with milk and honey is yours. I gave it to you. You won't go in. You're sick of me giving you wafers? And most Christians today are crying out to God in their miserable little Christian lives, unfulfilled, unsatisfied with very little power, saying this, God, why don't we have more? He says, because you won't take it. I didn't give you those things in the desert to satisfy you. I gave you those to sustain you. Most Christians are living in a sustained life, unsatisfied, because they simply will not go in, believe, and go into the promised land. Do you believe that? You, you think the whole Bible is written for that, so we can go, oh, that's something, they're stupid. Oh, another generation, they're stupid. Another generation, didn't believe. They are just not get it. That's there to teach us about ourselves in Christ. You don't like how it's going? You don't like being unsatisfied? Get before the Lord and find out what we're not doing to gain that satisfaction. Amen, brother. It's yielding to him completely. My agenda has to be gone. Lord, what, what would you have me to do? Who are you, Lord? That's a pretty big question. And when he answers that, he say, now what would you have me to do? And then do that thing. Oh, that doesn't fit my plan. He said, how's your plan working? Oh, you got some stuff. I get that. you got some stuff. How much that you going to take with you? He said, I want to give you some things that you can send ahead that when you come to heaven one day, your reward will be waiting for you. Praise God. Durable riches. That makes sense or it doesn't. The one thing I learned earlier, is I can't make people understand that, but I can tell you this, it's what the Bible says. It's the message through the Word of God. These kids, these kids, young ch- I wish someone told me that when I was younger. Would I have done it? I don't I don't know. I think I would. I don't know. Don't you wish you'd known that when you were a kid? God made you for a purpose. Find it. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the hour. We thank you for the day. We thank you for the many, many blessings you've showered upon these families here. We pray for the new children, babies here. Lord, draw them close to you early in life. Draw them to your side. Show them who you are. Draw them to a life satisfied in your work. Lord, for us who are here today, we just thank you for being who you are. We thank you for the great salvation in Christ and pray, pray that we do not neglect it. Not neglect so great salvation by not getting saved and then if we do get saved, by neglecting it to not using it to our, our betterment and those around us. Help us all to learn to yield to your spirit, we pray. Thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.